Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years, from the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Walkinshaw Andretti United has axed its plans to field a wildcard entry for the Supercars Endurance Races this year. As a knock-on effect of that decision, Warren Luff has been loaned out to Team 18 for Sandown and Bathurst, where he will be reunited with Scott Pye. In other Enduro news, Jamie Winkup has locked in a 22nd Bathurst 1000 start after confirming that he will team up with Brock Feeney in the number 88 Red Bull Camaro. The schedule for the upcoming Tasmania Super Sprint has been unveiled, with supercars only running on Saturday and Sunday. The three-part qualifying has been tweaked, with Q3 now down from 15 minutes to 10. Young Kiwi Brock Gilchrist has been handed a supercars test with Triple Eight after winning the Toyota 86 title across the ditch last weekend. He will sample a Gen 3 Camaro at Queensland Raceway in July. The Bathurst 12-hour is headed for a name change, with the 10-year naming rights deal with Liqui Moly coming to an end. Supercars is already working on a replacement title backer. And the second round of the Speed Series will take place at Phillip Island this weekend, after what feels like an eternity since race at Tasmania. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate who is no stranger to a physical altercation on pit road, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, did you enjoy a bit of if work in NASCAR over the weekend. Hello, Andrew. Well, I think that sort of thing is more your wheelhouse than mine, but it was uh, certainly a big day for NASCAR, like when a thrilling last lap battle for the win isn't the big story, you know, something's going down. It's just just such a different approach to probably most sports where it's like, you know, the official NASCAR channel is firing out from every angle. Every time a new angle emerged of, of, of Noah Gregson and, uh, and Ross Chastain getting into it, bang, there it was on the official channels. Like it's, it's definitely, you know, we talk about like F1 having driver intros and the driver's (laughs) like, this is heading down the entertainment path a bit too much. And meanwhile, NASCAR is just throwing this stuff out there going, have a look at this. How good as if you're going to miss this. Yeah, they're certainly not afraid to lean into it, and I guess it's it's a cultural thing a bit too. Like modern NASCAR was essentially built off of a fight at Daytona all those years ago, and a lot of the sport has changed since, but the basics of that have remained the same. And they probably walk a bit of a fine line between promotion and punishment, though, because yeah, I think conflict is important, but you know, having role models settling disputes with a punch to the face. It's not a good look for a family sport. Look, you're probably right, Stefan, and I know you are Captain Sensible, but it was still pretty cool. The thing I'd say, here's the bit that I I was trying to wrap my head around, and I think my interpretation of it is right, but like Chastain saying that Trackhouse, someone, you know, they have a no-push policy, and like Mm. he landed the first punch. So I assume he means like there's no pushing and shoving, like no jumper punches. Like if you're going to deck someone, get on with it. 
yeah, it was like it's something that they've talked about before and have a policy on because Chastain has rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way over the last couple of years. So it was sort of a matter of time before uh, someone confronted him like that. But he was just so calm about it. He seemed to know what he was doing. And, you know, even when, when Gregson um, grabbed Chastain's race suit, like um, Chastain grabbed Gregson's right forearm before throwing his own punch. So, yeah, he had uh, he had it all sort of mapped out there. Only you would have analysed the fight to that level, Stefan, and seen how the play was uh, was happening. Anyway, it was uh, – I, I think it's I think it's fun. I know it's – I know you're right. It's not a great look, but it's still pretty fun. Anyway, let's – Credit to um, the uh, security guys there as well because they were onto it pretty fast. Like uh, if something like that happened in the supercars pit lane – I think it might take a little little longer for them to break it up. Oh, for sure. No, it seems like there was a fair expectation of what Gregson was going over there to do. And like the bloke holding off his like right arm was doing a really good job because he was he was pretty keen to get one back and he's a big bloke. So um anyway, it was all I, I found it quite enjoyable. But um let's move on. There's been a bit of enduro news kicking about Stefan here in supercars land with a couple of teams locking in their lineups for Sandown and Bathurst. The more expected part of the equation was Jamie Winkup confirming that he'll continue in the 88 for another enduro season. Uh, Stefan, what I enjoyed from this was the messaging, you know, in the press release, like Jamie's first quote was, uh, I'm stoked. The team has decided that I'm the best person to co-drive the 88. I mean, I can just imagine the meeting where the boss asks if anyone thinks he's not the best guy to drive the car. You'd be pretty brave to raise your hand and say yes, right? Yeah, well, you'd be brave and probably stupid as well, wouldn't you? Because it's just a yeah. no-brainer to <laughs> yeah. put Jamie in the car. But that that wording wouldn't be flippant, though. Like, we both know that Jamie's a very detail-oriented person, so I've got no doubt he wanted that messaging to be front and center and he's always been big on not wanting to hold up a seat that a younger driver could have like he was obviously true to that with his full-time driving the way he stepped aside for brock but now he's in this situation where he's actually the boss as well as the co-driver so yeah i think clearly he's sensitive to the optics of it all and uh, he he clearly wants to be taken seriously as a team principal as well yeah no that's uh that's definitely true i mean it's a good this is a good opportunity for Jamie as well to actually, you know, we always sort of talk about the fact that there's this illusion that he's not very good at Bathurst, despite the fact he's, what, a four-time Bathurst 1000 winner. Hmm. Um, this is a good chance for him to kind of go and get a result, but with the way that Brock is is travelling this season, like it kind of, it's not unrealistic to think that by that point of the year, the guy's going to really be a contender week in, week out, and Jamie could be in a position to actually win another Bathurst 1000. Yeah, it's amazing to think that it's been 10 years since Jamie was even on the podium at that race and obviously 11 years since he won it. So, um, yeah, that, that'll be a big chance for sure. Brock's progression has uh, been really strong in the first part of this year. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if there's another uh, another chapter in this uh, intriguing Bathurst history that Jamie has. 
Uh, in other enduro news, we know now that WAU won't field a third entry this season. The team has decided that it's just too expensive and too hard with these Gen 3 cars to run an additional car. Uh, now, Warren Luff has been had been retained as a driver for the potential wildcard effort, but has now been loaned out to Team 18, where he will partner Scotty Pye in the number 20 Camaro. Uh, Luffy and Scotty already have a couple of Bathurst 1000 podiums to their name from their joint Walkinshaw days. There's also a bit of history between Luffy and and Charlie Schwerkolt from way back in the Dick Johnson racing days. Um, I mean, Stefan, last year, Team 18 was a late mover in the co-driver market after Jimmy Golding took the full-time ride at Premier. Um, they sort of sat back even after that for quite a while to sort of pick off what was left uh, left, um, and, and make that call. This year, you know, they're all tied up nice and early with a very experienced lineup across the board. Do you think this is a good move for, for Team and Driver? Yeah, certainly very experienced. I had a little... Look before, there's 70 Bathurst 1000 starts across four Team 18 drivers now in that lineup, which is uh, which is amazing. But um, certainly Luffy looks like a great get for them because he just has this ability to, to get in and do the job year after year. But obviously it's a new challenge for all the co-drivers with Gen 3 now, so it'll be interesting to see which co-drivers rise to that challenge. Well, I grabbed Luffy to get his thoughts on how the Team 18 deal played out, and we also delved into his role with WAU's very promising Super 2 program, and here's what he had to say. Yeah, it sounds like it's been a bit of a roller coaster to end up on the Supercars Enduro grid this year. There was all the talk about the wild card with WAU, and there were some pretty exciting plans in the works there until that kind of fell over. Now you've got this opportunity with Team 18. Are you happy with how it's all sort of panned out? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. It, um, obviously, look, the original plan was to, as you mentioned, to do the wild card, but, um, but once it became um, known that we weren't going to be obviously doing that, um, WAU were fantastic and they were like, well, look, our, our priority is to, is to get you on the grid and to make sure that we keep you driving. So it was it was really good of them. And um, and then obviously the opportunity to go to, to Team 18 and to partner up with Scott again was fantastic because he and I have had some great success in the past at Bathurst where we finished second two years in a row. And then Charlie Schwerkholt and I, we go back to the DJR days. Um, Charlie's a good friend. Um, so there's a lot of synergy there to be able to partner up with both of those guys. And um, and obviously for me as well, to, to be able to – Get another Bathurst start under my belt. Obviously, being the first year of Gen Three, I'm excited to see uh, see what this Gen Three is going to be like coming Giro time, as I'm sure everybody is. Have you had a go in a Gen Three car yet? And because uh, I'm not sure, you probably you might not have had a go yet. Um, and if you haven't, do you think it's going to suit your style? Uh, look, I, I actually had a had a drive in November last year. I went to one ah, of the supercars. Yeah, so I drove the I drove both right. prototypes on the same day. Admittedly, I only got eight laps in each car, so it wasn't a uh, a, a massive amount of, of laps. But it, look, it gave me a taste as to as to what they were like. And look, I think it's going to be for me. I, I'm really looking forward to it. The car does seem to move around a lot more, and obviously, with everything I've done over the years, that probably might actually suit my driving style a, a little bit more. Um, but I think the, obviously the big thing's going to be is when we look forward to Bathurst. Um, there's a few things that are going to be new for everyone there besides just the car. Obviously, we're, we're doing it on the soft tyre this year. Um, and obviously, with the fuel capacity, we're going to get back to, to longer stints and everything like that. So how that soft tyre holds up for potentially, I think some of the talk was that we might sort of be looking at 30-lap stints or something like that, which kind of gets us back to the old days of sort of a 30-lap stint. Um, it's going to be really interesting, but obviously very exciting. 
And having Sandown back is obviously a, a big advantage for someone like yourself that isn't actively racing week in, week out. Just those extra miles must be a bit of a bonus for this year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think it's going to be the same for all the co-drivers because, again, um, we're obviously limited with the amount of testing that we get throughout the year. So um, so Gen 3 for all of us is going to be very new. And um, it's probably makes Sandown more important than ever, um, That for, certainly from a co-driver's perspective, that it gives us that chance to get more miles under our belt. And also, look, Sandown's been a happy hunting ground for me in the past as well. So it's, a, it's an event that, um, that I've always enjoyed and um, and obviously had some great success there. You mentioned you've got a bit of uh, history with Scotty Pye, some really good results at Bathurst. I mean, you must be sort of thinking that, you know, you guys can head into these races, given the experience that you have, you know, together and just individually in your own careers and thinking, you know, we can go for some results here. Oh, look, absolutely. Like our, our eyes are firmly on on being on that podium come Sunday afternoon, obviously both at Sandown and Bathurst. Um, but look, obviously Bathurst is the one that everyone wants to do well at, but that makes us no different from anyone else out there in the field. But like I said, look, we've, we've got history there. We've, we've had some great results. Um, and obviously as, uh, as, as the year goes on, um, it's going to be exciting for me to obviously sort of go to as many of the te- Team 18 test days and start to sort of entrench myself within their team and, uh, and start to learn as much as I can as well. Speaking about teams and that sort of stuff, you've obviously got a very hands-on role with uh, with this, you know, Walkinshaw Super 2 program. How are you enjoying that just for starters, sort of having that mentoring role and, and that sort of, you know, taking yourself out of the driver's seat and trying to impart what you know onto these young guys? Yeah, look, I, I really enjoy it. And that's a, it's it's something that I've been doing for a long time now. Obviously, my association with McElroy Racing in both uh, Carrera Cup and Sprint Challenge Series, it's something I've been doing with them now for sort of just over 10 years. And obviously, over the years, we've had some great success um, with the likes of uh, Matt Campbell, Jackson Evans, and obviously last year with sort of Harry Jones. Um, so for me, that sort of that coaching role is, is something that I've I've done for a long time, and I also get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And obviously, in both um, Brian Wood and Zach Bates, we've got two great young talents there. Um, obviously, Brian had a had an amazing weekend in, in, in Perth. Um, on top of already putting it on pole at uh, at Newcastle at the first round, so um, these are, these are two young guys that I'm excited to sort of not only work with this year, but to see where their where their careers ultimately end up because I think they're both stars of the future. I mean, there there is obviously a lot of talk and deservedly a lot of talk about Ryan after Perth with those two race wins. Just how good, having looked on the inside, we're starting to get a glimpse of it now from the outside, but from the inside, like how good is this kid? Look, he, he is the real deal. He um, Look, I, I sort of was able to watch him from afar last year in Sprint Challenge as he was driving with a with an opposing team. Um, he was on pole every round last year. Um, was probably a little bit unlucky not to win the championship. Had a few sort of um, mechanical DNFs that probably sort of hurt the, hurt the championship points. Um, but from the moment he first turned up at um, when we did a, an evaluation day at Winton last year, uh, had never been to Winton before, and was on the pace within five laps and did it easy. Like there was not a not a point where you're watching him out there going, "Oh, hang on, this is this is looking a bit scary" or anything like that. He just kind of took it all in his step and absorbed everything, takes everything on board, um, and he showed that in, in Perth. He 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 drove smart, he drove mature, looked after his tyres. Um, so yeah, it was it was really impressive. So. 
um, yeah, he, he, he's a he's a great talent of the future. And obviously, look, Zach over there as well um, had had great qualifying pace on Sunday. Was running in sort of the running in that sort of front pack. A uh, little little bit of a little bit of a mishap with with Brad Vaughan there. But like I said to him after the race, I said, mate, when you're racing for the podium, you've got to take those chances. And whilst it didn't work out this time. Um, I expect you to race that hard every time. So he's a he's an amazing young talent as well. Obviously, the the Bates family name in Australian motorsport um, is is synonymous, and obviously um, he's had he's had some great pedigree in both Formula Ford and Toyota eighty six in the lead up to this year. So again, he's a he's another great young talent that um, that has a big future ahead of him. He does seem like such a quiet achiever. Was it actually kind of good to see that little bit of aggression from him in Perth? As you say, he didn't quite come off, but he's racing at the front. Like he's actually, he's not far off Ryan pace-wise either. He's doing a good job. No, he's doing a fantastic job. And yeah, look, look, it didn't didn't quite work out that time. But um, like I said, when the opportunity's there, you've got to go for it. Um, Yes, okay, it didn't work out that time. Um, But he's got that, same as Ryan, they've both got that burning hunger and desire and that willingness to sort of press on. Obviously, both very different characters, but both, once you get them in the car and that helmet goes on, both of them are fiercely competitive. And and pace-wise, they've been very similar all year in, in both. Uh, racing and qualifying. So, um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm excited um, to see how the year unfolds for both of them because, um, yeah, they're, they're great great guys to work with and, uh, and definitely are future talents. The letdown for us watching on now is they don't race again until Townsville. I mean, it's such a spaced out calendar for Super 2, especially at this point of the year. How do you keep the momentum going? What do you do with these guys between now and July to make sure that they do build on the pace in Perth and Ryan's success in Perth and, and you know, sort of use that as a springboard for the rest of the season? Yeah, look, obviously it's a it's a tough calendar for them, but um, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll do another test prior to, prior to Townsville. Um, but obviously for them, their simulator time is obviously going to be the key to sort of keeping themselves sharp and all that sort of stuff. And uh, look, we've got a great simulator program for these guys and all of all of our guys that will ultimately be part of the WAU Academy. Um, so we've got, we've got our sim set up down there at the factory and those guys spend as much time as obviously they can there. Um, and it's not just about oh, jump on the sim and go and have a bit of fun. Every time that the guys are going on there, there's a there's a purpose, there's a program as to what it is that we're doing, whether it be qualifying simulations, race simulations, or setup work, or or whatever it is. It's not just a oh, jump on the sim and go and have some fun. There's a there's a purpose and a, and a plan behind everything with these guys. Um, and that's the whole purpose of this academy that WAU have set up. So it's a it's an exciting program, and it's one that's only going to continue to grow and develop in the coming years. Every lap in under a minute, every move made to matter, every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticket Tech. Supercars. Unforgettable. Stefan, um, do you think there are any surprises left in the enduro market? I mean, we have this very talented Super 2 field this year, as Luffy and I covered off a bit there in that chat, but not many of the kids running right at the front are locked in anywhere, as we speak at least. Yeah, like the, the bulk of the seats are certainly sorted. 
And there's only, I believe, nine that are unannounced at that point and, and four of those are BJR where I don't think there'll be much change. So yeah. it would be great to see some more of those Super 2 kids get a go, but a few are probably going to have to wait until next year. Do you think that's, you know, because of the relative inexperience really of a lot of the guys that are actually running at the front, which is kind of odd because we're seeing guys like in Perth, Jack Perkins really struggled like with a lot of experience was sort of back in the field. But, you know, we've got these quick kids, but they're still quite inexperienced, plus the fact that they're not necessarily getting the mileage, the useful mileage in the same way that they would have been when the cars were much closer in specification between Super 2 and main game. Is that why these kids aren't getting snapped up? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the Super 2 field does tend to go in cycles in terms of if if uh, the young blokes are sort of spending two or three years in it before ideally moving up, then sometimes you do get this, this bit of a reset where there's more first-year sort of drivers in it this year. But, um, yeah, there's a few factors in all of it, obviously, and, and some of these seats that are left no doubt require a bit of budget too. So that uh, that's, can be a part of it. Well, it feels like an eternity since the last Speed Series round, Stefan, or at least it's the one with the full suite of categories like TCR Australia, S5000, Trans Am, and so on. But Phillip Island will play host to the lot this weekend. It's a pretty busy schedule. Anything catch your eye heading into the weekend that you're looking forward to? Well, something we saw a bit of a glimpse of early on during that first round at Simmons Plains was James Moffat versus Ben Grice in Trans Am. Mm. Like yep. their fathers were obviously big rivals back in the day and there's every chance these two will be scrapping it out at the front this weekend. Like Moff really put down a marker at Simmons. Like he's the one to beat now in this class. But Ben was on pole there and he was on pole at Phillip Island last year as well. He's got a new car after that unfortunate crash that he was involved in at Simmons Plains. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty of others in the mix for sure. But, um, yeah, that could be a tasty uh, battle as the season goes on. Well, nobody knows the Speed Series quite like our mate and series commentator and PR man, Richard Crail. So I grabbed him for a quick chat about what we can expect from a few of the categories we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Richard, it's been so long since we've had a full-blown Speed Series round with the full suite of categories. Are you going to remember the driver's names in some of these categories, it's been, it feels like forever since we've seen TCR cars and S5000 and all those guys. Yeah, big, big uh, stretch since we were in Tasmania for the opening round, wasn't it? And and Bathurst was unique in the six hour and that it was really only the Bathurst six hour there with, with a bit of GT World Challenge on the side. So, yeah, I think we'll be diving for the entry lists for those first few sessions. We're up on Saturday on Stan and working out who's who. But, yeah, it, it's a big race meeting, lots of premium spec categories and some really good competition. And I think the best thing is if you, you look over the broad spectrum of them all, it's pretty hard to go, yeah, there's an obvious winner or an obvious two or three people that could dominate each weekend. I, I think all of the categories this weekend are pretty wide open in terms of their contenders. So, And it's still, even though it's getting on to the middle of the year, it's still very early in their relative season. So there's still a lot to play out in terms of who ends up being competitive, which I think is great and um, should be a nice wide open weekend at a wide open racetrack. It is always a fantastic place to go motor racing. I'm actually looking forward to it myself, getting back to Phillip Island. It's been a little while, but let's um let's go through some of the categories we haven't seen since race Tasmania. And starting with TCR Australia, I mean, we've got a couple of new cars, the Lincoln Co., uh, the Cupra. There's a new face in Brad Harris who's going to drive that uh, wall racing Honda. But 
not to harp onto the negative, and I know you're the PR man, so you'll find a way to spin <laughs> this, but 13 cars. I mean, we didn't see great numbers in Tassie. We thought it was maybe a bit early in the year and a bit longer trip for that stage of the year. Is mm. it a bit of a worry that we've only got 13 TCR cars on the grid this weekend? Uh, look, I mean, it's not ideal, and we'd love to be back, I think, to where that sort of 17 to 20 mark we saw throughout last season was, and I can roll out the whole – quality over quantity line for you and talk about the fact there's all these contenders and there's probably 10 guys that could theoretically win this weekend and, and all that's true. But yeah, let's not get around the fact that the field isn't as big as I think the category would like it to be. Scenarios around that as, as to why, it's a good question and, and it's hard to talk about without sounding like you're making excuses, to be brutally honest. But uh, I think if you two or three years ago went yeah, Super 2 and Carrera Cup are both going to have 25 to 30 car fields and they're probably the same sort of audience that TCRs trying to get drivers for. And then there's drivers that maybe didn't quite have TCR budget that have gone, we'll go to Trans Am instead or we'll do something slightly different. Um, I, I think they're all factors to take into it. So, yeah, 13 or 14 cars, there's still a few to come Later in the year is is our understanding. So there's a Hyundai not racing at the moment that they hope to have filled later on. And there's a couple of other privateers. Um, Ian McDougall's missing this weekend because his wife's having a kid. So the the privateer in that Audi sitting on the sidelines and a couple of others. So, um, yeah, look, is, is it ideal? No, it's not. But I, I think also globally, you know, they had 22 cars at Portimao for the, the World Tour round and, and TCR Europe, which isn't exactly flush numbers for the no. premium European series. So I wonder if it's just a, a sort of downward ebb at the moment for TCR globally and, and people just struggling for numbers around the world at the moment and and maybe people waiting to see what this World Tour thing does as well. I, I don't think there's a lot of clarity over what that's going to offer as the premium international product until we actually get through a season. So once yeah. we've had that, once we've got the Aussie rounds at the end of the year when those, you know, 10 or 15 European cars do come to Australia, I think that'll give us a better idea of where TCR's positioned and whether that can work as a bit of an international draw like Porsche's got, for example, with Carrera Cup, where you know that you can go to Super Cup like Harry Jones the year out of Carrera Cup. It, it sort of needs that progression, I think, for some of the younger drivers. Yeah, absolutely. That does make sense, and it will be. I mean, that, that that TCR World Tour thing does have a massive potential to be a, to to be a real boost for TCR yeah. Australia if it does play out as you know everyone hopes that it does. Um, let's move on to the Trans Am. I mean, Trans Am cars are always epic to watch at Phillip Island. The way they sort mm. of dance around those those fast corners. I guess they'll probably be hoping that we see a bit more green flag racing for those guys <laughs> than we did in Tassie. They were quite interrupted races there from memory. What do you reckon we're going to see this weekend in that category? Yeah, well, they're they're spectacular, and like you say, that on that bag tire they've got, an you know, no downforce, lots of horsepower, and they slide around. But I think the thing for mine with Trans Am this year is that it could be the widest open category going around at the moment, and and we don't have a real form guide out of Simmons, other than the fact, and we knew this would be the case, that James Moffat is very very fast and. With his level of experience, you'd expect that. But when you look through that entry list and you see, you know, young up-and-comers like a Lockie Dalton, a Jay Robotham, um, 
Tyler Everingham and then some ones from left field like an Eden Thornborough who's now got a lot of laps in those cars. Um, Nash Morris back this weekend, young Josh Webster, Brett Holdsworth, and then the experience of Owen Kelly. There's 10 names, any of whom could be at the front. So I think that's what I like most about Trans Am this weekend. Um, that field looking at about 20 cars for this weekend, which is solid. They had that big um, the TA2 roundup at Hidden Valley. They had two driver endurance races, and that was only a week ago. And I know there were some guys that decided they wanted to go and have a crack at that rather than doing Phillip Island. So those numbers will be back up in the mid-20s as the season goes on. But from a, a broad, open, competitive, who knows who's going to win the weekend point of view, I think Trans Am's where it's at. Yep, no, definitely looking forward to uh, to seeing how that plays out. Um, we all know you're an open wheeler man at heart, Crowsey. Uh, how is the S5000 grid shaping up for round two this weekend? Yeah, very similar to Simmons Plains minus Roberto Mary, um, but I'm reliably informed that he will be back for selected rounds as the season goes on. So he's based in Japan this year, racing in um, Japanese GT, Super GT up there, and he's shown a, a real willingness to come back and do more rounds, and he's very keen to do so, and, and GRM are very keen to have him back with the impact that he's got for some of their younger drivers and the education that he can offer. So we're hoping we see him back. Uh, otherwise, the field the same. So, you know, Mawson goes in undefeated after Simmons Plains. Cooper Webster back, uh, battle-hardened with his first um, GB4, British Formula 4 round, under his belt. So Golding back after a couple of really good rounds in the supercar. Aaron Cameron, we know, is you know, genuinely competitive in everything he drives these days. Um, Zane Goddard sits this one out, hoping he's back a little bit later on in the season. So uh, a compact field, as always, is the case with wings and slicks racing these days. But the other thing for mine, AVL, this weekend is if we're going to get an indication of how the S5000 push-to-pass works and, and how well it works, this is the weekend. This is the racetrack to do it. And... And it'll be that long run out of MG all the way around 11 and 12, long front straight where you're flat for, I think, 35 seconds in these cars. You're absolutely flat to the boards. And then the long run down out of the Southern Loop, down into Honda or Stoner as it is now. Um, that for mine is the interesting thing this weekend to see how they deploy that push to pass in racing conditions. And Oh, remember, was it, was it 2021 where race three was like, it was like a Formula Ford race. Uh, no, it wasn't a wet. It was a dry race. It was like a. It was. It was like a Formula Ford race at three hundred kilometers an hour. It was insane. Yeah, there were yeah seven cars just jigging yep. each other out, and Tommy Randall and Joey got into each other, and yeah, you're right. It was. It was genuinely great mm. racing, and that, and that same weekend we had that ferociously wet race on the Saturday that Cooper Webster won and beat Tom Randall in really wet conditions, which was really impressive. So, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. I, I think it's going to be, you know, the wildest weekend from that aspect in, in working out that push to pass and, and how the drivers manage it. And I think the race to watch will be that Saturday race. It's a bit like a bit like the supercars over in Perth where the Saturday race is traditionally the best because no one knows what tyre deck's going to be like. I think the Saturday race in S5000 could be the best of the weekend because no one's going to have a real idea of how to deploy the push to pass to make it work best for them over the weekend. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. And the Kumo V8 Touring Car is back as well, not just since the start of the year, but since 
a couple of years since we saw those guys mm. um, racing. I guess, you know, people have thrown the term Super 4 around a little bit more. Now we've <laughs> seen that the way the Super 3 is integrated into the supercars, you know, into the ladder, into the pyramid. Do you think we're going to, you know, is this category going to play a role now as being a place where young drivers can cut their teeth a little bit before they want to go and, and sort of showcase what they can do on the supercar stage? Yeah, yeah, I think it will. I think it has to be relatively careful as well because that that privateer group of, you know, your Jim Policinas, your Ray Hislops, um, people like that that probably became a little bit disenfranchised isn't the right word, but, you know, they'd run within Super 3 within Super 2 and you'd be 27th or 28th and you'd be gobbled up by whatever on earth it is that goes on at the front of Super 2 races every year when they come around to lap you. So I I don't think they got a massive amount of enjoyment. So I I think V8 Touring Car is going to be a build over the year. Um, They'll start with 12 cars this weekend. By Winton, they're talking 16 to 18, and then by the time they get to Queensland Raceway, I think those privateer guys will come out of the woodwork as well. But it won't be at the expense of having some genuinely competitive peddlers at the front of the field. So Jude Barguana has hooked up with Anderson Motorsport, which is great, in the same car that Brad Vaughan drove to the Super 3 title in that dramatic finale at Adelaide last year. So that's a really exciting little prospect. The other one I'm really looking forward to seeing is Jamie Tilley, who's in an ex-Craig Lowndes Triple Eight Commodore. Jamie's a young guy but doesn't have any of that junior category background, but he's raced Stevie J, JB, Cam McConville and those likes in Touring Car Masters and on occasion has beaten them. So he's a genuinely talented guy, younger bloke who's never had the opportunity to to strut his stuff in a category where, you know, young kids tend to get discovered to try and progress their career. So people like that are still coming into V8 touring cars to to cut their teeth in in what will now be the entry level to supercar racing. But I think that privateer battle and, and returning that focus back to the car histories and the retro liveries and some of the cool, cool metal that comes out to run, I think will be priority for the, the V8 touring cars this year. Stefan, we spoke about grid sizes for a few of these categories before Race Tasmania way back in February, and it was feasible to argue that an expensive trip to Tassie so early in the year was why the numbers were down. But, I mean, like 13 cars for TCR Australia this weekend, that's that's not great. Yeah, it's not good, and it's going to look very thin, spread around four and a half kilometres of Phillip Island. Like 13 yep. cars at Simmons isn't quite so bad, but this uh, – this isn't good, and unfortunately, I think it's just a reflection of where the category is in terms of cost versus value to the competitor. Like these cars aren't cheap to run, and there's there's a few here in Australia that that aren't out there, and, and some that have come to Australia and then been sold back overseas because people don't have the budget to run them. So, yeah, that that's not good. Like probably the the one saving grace that they can sort of hang their hat on at the moment is a couple of new brands coming in. So to have the yeah. the Lincoln Co and the Cupra, like to have six brands there in, in only 13 cars is is kind of the, the good point. But yeah, certainly that grid size is a worry. Yeah, I guess the, the one thing that we sort of need to consider is that at the peak of this category, when there was 20 plus cars, you know, in 2019, the first year and and even since then, there was a lot of subsidising coming from ARG. You know, they owned ca- they owned cars. They were helping 
fund cars that were on the grid, having the numbers was very important and they invested in that. But eventually, and they always said, eventually they would need to stop doing that and it would have to stand on its own two feet. And it's kind of not necessarily doing that. You don't really feel there is an incredible future unless this world tour thing really turns it around, which again, yeah, I mean, I think globally TCR is not necessarily in the best place and there's still an element of subsidising going on, I'm guessing, given the fact that GRM, which owns ARG, has so many cars in the field. I mean, if you took all them out straight away, there'd be very few cars running about. So, yeah, I think it is kind of troubling times for that category. Yeah, and unfortunately, it it's where it, where it's aimed driver-wise, like um, both TCR and S5000, like they don't have a solid pool of gentleman drivers propping the back end of the grid up. Yeah. It, it doesn't have that appeal of a Crew Cup or GT where a lot of those guys spend their money. So it is hard to get more than a dozen or so competitors who can afford to go and, and run these classes. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to try and take away from the pool. And, you know, GTs hasn't exactly looked great in terms of overall numbers this year, although I think it's 20-plus this weekend, um, and that's without the Triple Eight cars, which are which are running in Asia. But um, they've actually got some numbers back for this weekend as well. But, you know, you just need to – it just comes back to price point. Like if TCR was super affordable, then guys that are going to look to those categories will go, okay, well, maybe this is a better option because it's just going to cost me so much less money. But when it's costing like GT spec money anyway – just mm. very difficult sell. All right, let's take a look at what is happening around the world. Max Verstappen came from ninth on the grid to storm past teammate Sergio Perez and win the Miami Grand Prix. Fernando Alonso finished third behind the Red Bull pair, while Oscar Piastri finished up 19th after struggling with brake problems on what was generally a pretty tough weekend for McLaren. Alvaro Bautista clean swept the Barcelona round of the World Superbike Championship. Remy Gardner finished the weekend with a best result of 11th in the first race, and Denny Hamlin won that spectacular NASCAR Cup Series race in Kansas after a thrilling battle with Kyle Larkin. Larson that led to Larson being wrecked on the final lap. All right, Castrol mailbag time. Mark Wecker asks, why are some Mustangs running a factory style dash, but others just a flat fabricated sheet? Is this an open option for the teams or still a part supply problem? Right, so none of the four teams are running what will be the final spec dash in those Gen 3 cars. At the moment, some teams are running a temporary dash made out of high-impact plastic that was designed by WAU and Sign Zone. Some are running a modified dash based on the old car. Some are running no dash at all. There is a proper dash that has been designed uh, using the same basic design that will be in the GT3 spec Mustang, uh, but it's had to be mirrored basically to be right-hand drive, not left-hand drive. Uh, the design work on that is done. It was meant to be finished in the cars for Perth, but there are some production issues. Plus, uh, I think Ford has kind of had some bigger fish to fry and a non-performance item like the Dash has kind of slipped down the priority list a little bit, but real Dashes specifically designed for those cars that will be part of the control makeup of the car are coming at some point this season. Okay, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, who gets your Castrol Star this week? Well, my Star of the Week is going to Sir Jackie Stewart for his efforts to help Martin Brundle get an interview with Roger Federer on the grid at the Miami Grand Prix. For anyone who missed it, 
Federer was in a roped off area there on the grid and Jackie pushed his way through security to go and get Federer for Brundle. It was a bit of a nervous moment waiting to see if any of those goons were going to tip Sir Jackie upside down, but uh, <laughs> I just hope I've got that much grunt when I'm 83. <laughs> that is a very, very good choice and probably lucky that the NASCAR brawl happened after that, um, <laughs> given the fact we've seen how they like to deal with things in the States. I'm going to stick with the Miami theme and give my cash draw starter, Fernando Alonso, this week, not for finishing on the podium, but for his praising of Lance Stroll's passing moves after seeing them on the big screen during the race. It was a remarkable flex in a number of ways, uh, mostly in that he seems to be playing this masterful political game of basically integrating himself into the Stroll family. Um, and, of course, you know, commenting on big screen happenings is a wonderful throwback to the time that Shane Van Gisbergen asked, the, asked Triple Eight why his dad was on TV when he was in the closing stages of securing a race win. I think that was Townsville. Do you remember when that was? I don't, but uh, certainly, yeah, some of the supercars drivers. I remember Lounsey doing a fair bit of that back uh, back 20 years ago now, talking about what was on TV and Campbell Little telling him to focus on the – on the driving, but uh, yeah, Fernando's been great this year, hasn't he? I loved yeah. Baku where he just casually uh, rang up the team and said, uh, oh, please share my uh, brake bias settings with Lance. It uh, feels really good. Like, uh, ha- how generous. I oh, know. it's a, And for a bloke that's very famously known as being incredibly difficult to work with, particularly if you're his teammate, it is just, it's a, it's, it's a very funny game. I guess a part of the flex is also when you're running third and like, you know, just highlighting, mm. oh, what position is he passing? <laughs> oh, yeah. 13th. Oh, good on him. He's having a real go out there, isn't he? It was, uh, it was definitely good for all laugh. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.